Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion team. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. All right, our next guest on the Fly the W podcast, you know him as the senior writer for The Athletic, Patrick Mooney. Patrick, how are you? Good, Crowley. How you been? Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. You know, it was such a such a crazy series against the Cardinals. It always is when those two teams uh, face off. But I thought the Cubs held their own. They're just not as good as the Cardinals. It's about as simple as you can put it. Yeah, no need to overthink it. Like the Cubs have some uh, nice pieces. They have uh, some competitive elements. I think you can speak to this better from a fan's perspective, but it's like, the effort level and engagement levels I feel like have been there. It's just, they don't have that dominating starting pitcher to just like set the tone for a series and kind of preserve the bullpen. There's been lots of injuries. Not that that's an excuse, but it feels like the Cubs are kind of just like trying to figure out things on the fly and then like deal with tomorrow, tomorrow. And then it's a lineup that after Morrell, and Contreras and certainly wisdom he'll run into some home runs no doubt but there's not like that guy that's coming through with like the big hit that can turn a game in the late innings and I think that's why this uh Cardinals series summed up a lot of the things we've seen uh about the Cubs this season and obviously these are issues that have been building for uh, a couple of seasons now uh, the reason I asked you to come on, Patrick, besides being one of my favorite writers, uh, you had two pieces drop recently. You had one of them that was about Caleb Killian and the Cubs' early returns. And then just today, on Monday, you had this great article about Wilson Contreras. And to me, I, I was at the game Saturday. I bought tickets waiting. I waited Saturday because I'm like, okay, Killian's coming up. This is what I'm waiting for. So I got tickets right away. And uh, he didn't disappoint. What did you think about that? A very credible, impressive debut under the circumstances. Um, really lines up with what the Cubs have said internally. I mean, this is their most viable starting pitching prospect in, what, 10-plus years? I mean, I think you probably go back to Jeff Samarja, and he was even kind of broken in as, as a reliever in the major leagues. And so I think with these two off days this week, 
Uh, Wade Miley probably coming off the injured list sooner rather than later. Uh, the Cubs optioned Killian back to Iowa with a couple of things to work on, but we all know the tread, trade deadline's looming. There will be more injuries. There just always are, and that he is someone who I think the next time he comes back won't be going back to Des Moines, that they need to see what they have in him for next year. And I think if he does, if he's as good as they say, uh, he will – have a nice second half and be penciled into the 2023 opening day rotation. And, you know, I think there's a lot of symbolism there to fans like yourself who are wondering like, what's the plan, what's going on, how long this is going to take. And this is a, as far as trade deadline deals go, this is like as close to an immediate return as you can really get, unless you're trading for a guy off a major league roster. So in your article, and, and I went back and I looked at all the transactions that happened in July of 2021. And between July 15th and July 30th, uh, we in the Cub fan community refer to July 30th as Blue Friday, that massacre that just happened in a period of about 24 hours. There were eight trades that took place. And, you know, a lot of people were angry. I mean, like when you think about the guys that they traded, your Javi Baez, your Chris Bryant, your Anthony Rizzo's, you know, those guys that were – the heart and soul of that world series team. I mean, we talked about, okay, they're probably going to trade two, but keep one. And then the argument was, which one do you keep? But that's not what they did. They got rid of all of them. Were you surprised as well that all three ended up not coming back? As free agents? Yeah. I mean, or the agents okay, yeah, yeah. No, mentioned um, any of it. I thought there was a very slim possibility that uh maybe Baez could come back just because they had presented him a very strong offer uh and they were working on that and progressing towards the deal right before the onset of the pandemic in March 2020 I think how the Cubs operate and we can spin it forward like with Wilson Contreras what's going to happen to him like he's gone unless something totally unforeseen or unexpected happens um and they're probably going to try to like spin this and keep maintain a good enough to relationship to where they could talk and i mean they did reach out to kyle schwarber last offseason i mean that was something like obviously they didn't uh overwhelm him uh or you know make him an offer he couldn't refuse but i think if you look at how this front office operates it's largely of like wanting to stay in the mix wanting to keep their options open wanting to make offers that make sense on their terms. That's usually not a good way to win in free agency. That's not uh, going to blow players away. But, you know, Rizzo was one I didn't see him coming back. I just thought that the offer they had made, which in retrospect was not an unfair uh, presentation, uh, considering he had already been extended before and the fact that he was a couple of years older and didn't play that premium shortstop position or, or catcher i just didn't see where he would be coming back like that was i think kind of a bridge too far uh you know sure the cubs would have loved chris bryant on like a one or two year deal but he was all about long-term security and getting that uh no trade protection uh the cubs did not seriously engage with javi uh, as a free agent i think that was kind of looking at where they were kind of in their cycle and 
I think Jed has repeatedly shown he is really wary of those long-term deals. Like it's not necessarily the dollars, it's the years. And then Schwarber uh, going to the Phillies collection of uh, designated hitters and the Cubs uh, signing Suzuki uh, instead. Well, I took a look at the eight trades and it starts on July 15th. You get Peterson going to the Braves for Bryce Ball and Bryce Ball's had a pretty good bounce back yeah. here uh, this season. July 26th, they trade uh, Andrew Chafin, the sheriff, uh, yeah. who became a quick fan favorite. Funny story. I, I, when I saw him in spring training, I said, hey, you look like the shooter. You look like Rod Beck. And he says to me, who? And, <laughs> and that's when I realized I'm so much older than these guys. But Chafin goes to the A's for first baseman Greg Diekman and uh, right hand pitcher Daniel Palencia. Then you get into the 29th. You get Rizzo going to New York for Alexander Vizcaino and Kevin Alcantara. You get to Para going to the White Sox for left-handed pitcher Bailey Horn. Then you get into the 30th. Chris Bryant's traded to San Francisco for Alexander Canario and uh, right-handed pitcher Caleb Killian, who we saw this weekend. And then you had Javi Baez and Trevor Williams and some cash going to the Mets for Pete Crow Armstrong. Jake Marisnik goes to the Padres for Anderson Espinosa, who we saw. I don't think we saw him this weekend, uh, you know, for the doubleheader. Uh, and then um, the 30th, you had Craig Kimbrell for Nick Magical and Cody Hewer. So – like, like you said, you know, I'm a fan. Just as an objective reporter, you don't know how this is all going to pan out. But from those eight trades, how would you say, you know, it's hard to say right now, but it, it seems like if the goal was to restock a farm system that had been depleted as they tried to kind of keep going for it with the same core, it did seem like, and if you throw in the Udarvis system, that they really did replenish that uh, the farm. Yeah, I think all the grades are incomplete, obviously, when you're dealing with uh, prospects at the lower levels of the minors. And also, we haven't seen how they're going to reinvest that savings in the major league product. So, like, you know, praising the Cubs for all these great deals, I think, is is too much, particularly when the big league product has been underfunded and we're not really sure how they're going to redeploy uh, those resources. Uh, I will say that even people who are kind of skeptical of the Cubs have said they have legitimate group of prospects and you don't know which ones are exactly going to pop, but Pete Crow Armstrong, I think is one who has a pretty high level of probability to reach the majors and play gold glove caliber uh, center field. And we'll see, uh, how his offensive game will evolve. Obviously, he's shown no signs of rust getting that promotion from Myrtle Beach to South Bend. I mean, he's a Team USA guy, a uh, kid who grew up in Southern California, just playing against elite competition all the time. Um, so he should be performing pretty well, you know, at, at this point. Like, he's had a lot of high-level uh, exposure uh, Alcantara, my colleague Sadev Sharma has done a lot of homework on him. I think he's that interesting guy who maybe he's a bust, but like physically he's a freak. I mean, a six-six guy who can play center field um, and supposedly has a really nice um, personality and makeup in the clubhouse. Uh, I think you've seen the Yankees, what they've done historically with some uh, really high-level athletes and getting them up to Yankee stadium, whether it's you know, kind of relievers or a guy like Aaron judge, that there's certainly a lot to work with there. And this will be 
on some level, a referendum on the changes the Cubs have made in uh, player development. And then some of those other deals you're looking at kind of, you know, maybe there's a reliever or two who helps you down the road. And I think the Kimbrell trade is just a weird one because it did not work out for the White Sox. Cody Hoyer's recovering from Tommy John surgery. And, you know, Nick Madrigal uh, has been a kind of a disappointment so far. I mean, he hasn't done what the Cubs hoped. He was injured. He's coming off. He was injured. He's coming off a real substantial injury as well. So it's kind of too early to tell with him. But it's just weird how that Kimbrell deal on both sides, no one is like pounding the <laughs> table saying we won that deal. It just hasn't. So he's out uh, in LA, you know, enjoying life with the Dodgers, I'm assuming, but uh, it has not worked out how Rick Hahn or Jed Hoyer had envisioned. Yeah. Not exactly a bad place to be a closer if you're uh, right. Craig Kimbrell, but yeah. uh, you know, you mentioned a little bit about saying to the team, okay, you made the trades, but now what are you doing with this money that you've obviously saved? You know, you're not in the top five of payroll anymore. And I think that's where I looked at today's article with a little bit of frustration and, and you talked about the offer that they made Rizzo. And sometimes it's not just about the numbers of the, on the back of the baseball card. Sometimes you have done a lot for an organization and, and you hope that that gets rewarded. And it's hard to believe Wilson Contreras has been with this organization for 14 years. Okay. And when you talk about the money, uh, you know, that they saved and, and, and it didn't, you know, they didn't go crazy spending in the off season. I don't understand and, and, and try to help me. I don't know if you can, but arbitration is a messy process. It's never a good process to do that. You know, and it usually it happens before the season starts. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So this is happening in, in the middle of the season and the Cubs are offering nine and Wilson asked for 10.25. You're talking about a couple of games worth of cup snakes here. Why on God's green earth would they be arguing over 1.25? Why, why not give the guy just 2 million? Just say, here's 11 million. Nobody gets that belt anymore for keeping arbitration numbers low, right? Well, I will say, since you asked, I will try to explain in broad strokes, not to uh, excuse or rationalize, but to try to lay out the landscape of one. Wilson has taken a pretty mature approach to this saying, look, it was a, really weird off season. There just wasn't enough time to hash this out. I understand it's a business. I'm in a good place. Yada, yada, yada. From the Cubs perspective, they are leaning on major league baseball's essentially in-house labor relations department that uh, from an industry perspective, they see all of these things connected and the players association as well, that, any gain for Wilson is something that future catchers or other players can build off of. So it's not like a total vacuum, even though I totally understand what you're saying of like, why can't they just I mean middle air? You have seen other teams do that. You know, the Cubs are saying our policy is a file and trial, uh, meaning that once it's submitted, they're going forward, no further negotiations. Other teams have, bent on that. They did not come to agreements uh, during spring training and have found common ground uh, later. I think this is a process that, you know, fans are pro probably don't understand or probably bored by. They don't get it. I think the larger thing with Wilson is those intangibles you talk about. I think they're real. Christopher Morrell thinks they're real. 
I just don't think the Cubs place a huge premium on that at this moment so that we can talk all about how great these other things are. I just don't think that's a very compelling argument. Now, what Wilson does have a compelling argument is go good luck finding another catcher who can do what I do. Like guy who hit with a 900 OPS, the designated hitter, perhaps robot umps minimizing what has been a relative weakness in his game. Like he is a really valuable player and a dynamic athlete and an impact hitter. And those guys are hard to find much less guys that you know really well who can bring those other things. So that's why I think, I don't think the Cubs are going to re-sign him as a free agent, but I don't think they've ruled that out. And I don't think it's in Wilson's best interest to say, there's no way I'm coming back here. And maybe there is like that really, really, really small possibility that he could come back. It just historically, that's usually uh, not how it works. Right. You got, you're competing against however many teams that are going to be looking for a catcher. And like you said, with the DH now, you have another spot that you can play him. And, and you saw how the wear and tear of the position affected his uh, hitting last year. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's, I, I really like when I read your article about Chris Morrell, you know, if you tell the listeners a little bit, just how much Wilson means to a guy like Christopher Morrell. Uh, everything that was kind of his response and you can pick up on it. There was this great um, clip during the marquee broadcast uh, last week of Morrell is at the plate um, clutch situation uh, runner on third one out and he fouls off two pitches and Wilson can see it and he whistles uh, to draw his attention and kind of just says look, look, inhales deeply and exhales deeply and just as a reminder to breathe and you know, he uh, did his job Morrell lifted a sacrifice fly uh, got the on-field celebration, got the uh, you know Gatorade bath or the water bath during the interview, and <clears throat> excuse me, that's valuable and and that's stuff that you can see. Morell is not a product of Wilson's mentorship or anything like that. I mean, he's a really confident guy with uh, really interesting skill set, but um, it's noticeable how comfortable he was, and it's. Um, I think very genuine the way he talks about Wilson's um, leadership, um, the fact that he's a resource there for him. Like that's not a fake thing. There are times I feel like certain leadership stories are kind of overblown or, you know, we put too much emphasis on clubhouse chemistry, but that one to me felt real. That's why I wrote about it. And that's why Chris has, um, been so effusive in thanking Wilson for his guidance at this moment. And what people don't realize, I think sometimes is that, especially for the Latino players that come here, you know, it's not like your mom or dad can just pop into Wrigley and visit, you know, and just catch a quick plane flight or something like that. You know, uh, you know, a lot of these families may not have the financial means. It's difficult sometimes, especially if you're like, say Wilson from Venezuela to even come here. And so to have somebody, these are, you know, when you talk about morale, like 19, 20, 21, and you have no family, you have nothing, a guy like Wilson and what he brings and, and, and the mentorship. And I think back of, you know, Pedro Strope was that guy for a lot of Latino players. And then before that, I remember Alfonso Soriano. It does make a difference. Making Miguel Montero. Miggy. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. 
And so the, the way that these guys, you know, relate and, and help these younger players, like I said, that's why sometimes I think the, the intangibles, yeah, they can be overblown, but, you know, you talk to Chris Morrell, talk to some of these players and what a guy like Wilson means to them. And that's, like I said, it was, I'm, I, what are you building around? What are you building on? And I think as a fan, sometimes it's like, yay, exciting. We got a lot of really good young talent, but at the same time, who's going to be the one that, that, that kind of is there to be that connection to the next great Cubs team. What's well, these next four months are all about. I mean, that's the prism through which to view every game and every player and every deal. And that um, it's seeing what they have on the pitching side. It's seeing what Nico Horner can do. Does Nick Madrigal bounce back and play his way into being your assumed starting second baseman next year um i think from from my seat i think you've seen enough of patrick wisdom that he's an interesting useful player with enormous power who plays good defense and strikes out a ton like you can work with that as long as he's not like your number three hitter the guy that you're you're betting everything on i mean the guy's not even in the arbitration system yet like you can work with that um if you can incorporate Caleb Killian into your rotation, we'll see what happens with Stroman and Hendricks. Like I don't see how you get anywhere close to good value for Kyle Hendricks at this moment. And I think trading Stroman, it's like going too far back to the drawing board. Like next, like how many pitchers are you going to have to sign? And that's like not a good place to be when other teams and agents know you're really desperate for starters. And then the Justin Steeles, the Keegan Thompsons, like keep letting them, uh, giving them some runway to show you what they got. And so uh, at this point, I think it's Seiya Suzuki uh, in terms of next year's open day lineup. And then like maybe Morell. I mean, we're kind of catching the Morell wave here. Like there's going to be an adjustment period. He's going to come back to earth. But I think there's certainly a lot to like about his game and his personality and the different ways in which he can contribute. I mean, to play center field, shortstop, second base, third base hit leadoff. I mean, like those guys are hard to find and they knew he had those dynamic talents. It was just kind of a matter of getting the repetitions and learning how to kind of control his emotions and kind of uh, refine his game. And he's certainly run with this opportunity. Um, But yeah, I mean, you are left with, a ton of work to do this off season. Like there's like no way around. Like even if you hit on all of your best case scenarios for the next four months, it's hard to see them not having to do multiple Suzuki Stroman type deals just to get it, just to raise the competitive floor for next season. I got one last question for you here, Patrick. I appreciate your time. Um, the question, you know, and you talked about Morel. man, he made the most of his opportunity. I mean, 20 game yeah. on base streak. You know, there's going to be decisions that have to be made, and 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 the 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 elephant in the room is, is Jason Hayward and his contract. And when you have guy like Clint Frazier, and you're wondering, could this possibly be a piece? You know, that's a blue chip prospect that we got from the Yankees. It didn't work out there. You know, how much longer do you think we go with the, with this Jason Hayward exper- uh, Jason Hayward contract? I mean, you're paying him either way, but I mean, he's taking away bats from say younger guys that you may want to take a look at. Yeah, I mean that's. An awkward situation. Uh, it's certainly coming. Uh, my sense, it's not like 
an imminent thing. They've done so much maneuvering around the 40-man roster that uh, I don't see them uh, DFAing Hayward anytime soon. I guess I could be wrong. I just don't have a strong sense like that's like a front burner thing. They know that issue is there and they're going to have to deal with it eventually. I'm just guessing here, but I'd imagine that they'd like to just kind of kick the can down the road until after the trade deadline. And then, I mean, you're going to need like bodies to play and we've seen how many injuries have happened. Um, This 40 man roster crunch is probably going to disappear when they trade like six or seven guys on major league deals before August 2nd. I do think things have a way of sorting themselves out. It's not like the Cubs are going all out to qualify for a playoff spot this year. And I do think, you know, with Frazier, I think they've kind of modified their expectations or at least, you know, in spring training, he was this big story. And before he unfortunately had that appendectomy, I mean, he wasn't playing a lot then. I mean, they were kind of looking at him as more of a, matchup guy and I think eventually he will probably get some pretty good runway here that if they make deals if guys get hurt uh Brennan Davis unfortunately is not knocking on the door after undergoing back surgery um again just kind of, I mean you've watched the game a long time you know like things always happen and things have a way of kind of sorting themselves out and I think it would be the Cubs hope to just kind of defer that Hayward decision for as long as possible. That's not, you know, the most uh, forward thinking strategy or a bold strategy, but I think it's just kind of where they're at right now in June of 2022. All right, Patrick, for the listeners, uh, where would they find your work if they wanted to continue reading your good stuff? I appreciate it. I'd check out uh, my stuff at the athletic. We got a ton of uh, Cubs coverage MLB coverage, really kind of every sport, uh, teams all across the world, including uh, English Premier League, college football, uh, you name it, we have a pretty strong uh, presence. So thank you for the shout out. No problem. And they can find you on Twitter at PJ Mooney. PJ underscore Mooney. I almost had it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, Patrick, thanks for coming out. Appreciate your time. And uh, thanks again. No problem, buddy. Take care. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro.